This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You are listening to a special edition iFanboy podcast, independent voices in comics, new stories, and how to sell them. special edition iFanboy podcast, independent voices in comics, news stories, and how to sell them. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. 
On May 14th, I was asked to moderate this panel. It took place at Earth 2 Comics, Northridge, California, and featured an illustrious panel of indie creators who you'll meet in a second. It was a fun time. We talked about the creative process. We talked about the marketing side. We talked about the business side, digital comics, everything that you could possibly need to know involving making and selling independent comics. So without further ado, here is the panel. All right, so welcome to Independent Voices in Comics. My name is Chronicle Patrick. I am the editor of MyFanboy.com, and today we're going to discuss uh, independent comics, all the issues and, and interesting things about it that's happening now. Um, before I introduce the panel, just keep in mind, we're going to talk a bit, and then we're going to have some question and answer. So if anything comes up you want to ask, keep it in mind for, for then, and we'll sort of hand the mic around if you have questions. So with that in mind, why don't each of you just... Introduce yourself and give it. Just tell us the name of your book and just give a brief log line on the book. Jim. Yep. No. Your book is Jim. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> uh, hi, I'm Jim McCann, um, and I'm the co-creator and writer of the Dapper Men original graphic novel series. Uh, first one was out last year, Return of the Dapper Men, and Time of the Dapper Men will be out at C2E2 uh, next year, as well as just launched. Um, a ongoing series called Mind the Gap from Image Comics. All right, and uh, I'm Dave Acampo uh, with Jeremy right here. Um, we are the co-writers of Sparrow and Crow, The Demoniac of Los Angeles, which is actually out. The first issue is out in July. Um, and... Uh, I'll let Jeremy take it from there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm Jeremy Rogers. Um, yeah, the book comes out July 25th, I think, uh, from Hermes Press. Um, <clears throat> so co-creator of that, and we also wrote a book called The Bostock that we're trying to put together right now. Uh, I'm Ed LaRoche. Uh, I self-published. I wrote and drew and self-published my own graphic novel. Um, it's a post-apocalyptic tale about a girl who's been abducted by a motorcycle gang and the Jill of all trades hired to find her and bring her home. And finally, Darren, we're in your store. Tell us. Uh, I'm Darren Thomas. Uh, this is the store I manage at the at the whims of, of Cardi Angelo. I'm happy to serve him. And uh, I'm really happy to have you guys here trying out this podcast. Oh, Get testing. Which is coming to you from Earth 2 Comics in Northridge, California. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess the independent comics start with an idea, right? So then you... No, they start finished. <laughs> oh, they're done? <laughs> so you, you get an idea. What's the, what's the process? How do you find a collaborator? How did your books come, about, come together? If you're not a writer-artist, you're not someone who does it yourself, how do you find someone to work with? What's, I don't know, what's the hard uh, part of that? Yeah. For me, um, I got into the industry kind of the other way, backwards, I guess you would say. I started in the offices at Marvel, so I got to know a lot of people that way and make a lot of contacts. But for Dapper Men, um, it was uh, with Janet Kaylee, who is an amazing uh, gallery artist. And I've, we lived less than a mile um, next to each other uh, back in Nashville, Tennessee. We worked together. We've known each other for forever, and I've kind of watched her art evolve. And um, Dapperman was based on an idea that I had off of three very disparately different paintings that she had done and so of course she's the only person to me that could have been the artist on that um, I would have had to have given up on that idea if she said no so glad she said yes um, and then uh, for Mind the Gap um, Sonia Obak and I had wanted to work together for a while she'd colored two eight pagers that I had written um, 
and then I'd seen Rodina Squejo, uh, who's the cover artist for Morning Glories, um, walking around the cons and known him for about a year and a half now. And he always had his portfolio. And I noticed that it was not just covers and also that he had been nominated for an Eisner last year for Best Short Story um, in Images, Fraction, Fables, uh, which was a Cinderella story. So I was like, let me take a look at your sequentials because in my mind, I definitely knew that the, the look and feel that I wanted for Mind the Gap was Sonia and him. And it didn't hurt that it was the day after the Eisner's Um, And I had it on the table And I just was kind of spinning it And was very excited And I looked up at both of them and said Hey, you guys want to do a comic? And so That's probably the exception to the rule. <laughs> well, that kind of makes it sound like there's a there's a way f- forward. You said you went in backwards, but <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> there's, there's I mean, as many I already knew. As yeah, that's here. true. <laughs> so they, that's you, true. You guys, how did you guys get to find your artist? Yeah, our, ours was pretty interesting because he found us. He found us, right? So we, but so our book Sparrow and Crow it doesn't come out until July. But prior to this, um, Jeremy and I we had done a uh, a, a serialized audio drama that we. Uh, d- d- that we did through iTunes. So this is like an old-time radio serial. We just did it as a modern. It was basically us trying to do a TV show, kind of Twin Peaks meets Buffy the Vampire Slayer over three seasons. And uh, and so we kind of found an audience with that. And it's very similar to comics in the sense that we just did it ourselves. You know, we didn't we didn't have the drawing skills, so we just got actors because we live in L.A. And we, we know people and work with people on short films. So we just started doing that, and we just kept putting it out, you know. Um, and, and that's one great thing about um, podcasting is that it just, you know, it's, it's a great way. It's a great distribution platform. Um, and so as we were wrapping up Wormwood, uh, we got an email from Jared Souza, and it had pages of comics that he had drawn that were sequential that were adapted from the audio play. Like listening to it and then drawing it, we didn't we didn't give out scripts, so so uh, we were just like, wow, that's what our stuff looks like as a comic book. That's great. Um, we had always wanted to do comics um, in some form. I, I'm a longtime comic fan, so uh, so for us it was kind of like, yes, this is what we want to do next. And uh, yeah, no, we had talked about doing it for a while back in the first season of the show, just with the writing and the producing of the show. There was just it was too much to do it all at once. So worked out perfectly that that Jared contacted us after we wrapped up the show. So the timing couldn't have been better. And the fact that his art was was really impressive to us was was icing. One of the things I find interesting about especially independent comics is you, you're not just the writer or the artist, you have to also be the editor and the businessman too. Is that the biggest challenge of being an independent comic creator or beyond just making the book is also putting it together in marketing and all doing everything? It's all challenging. <laughs> Every, but that's fine, you know. Yeah. It's luck. <laughs> For me, it's artists. I mean, because I don't have, I, I I don't have the business mind. At least, it's not the forefront of my thinking. I have to really work on that side right. of stuff. Um, I just want to write things and then get excited when I get emails that say, "Hey, there's new pages on the FTP." <laughs> um, but then you realize. Crap! I've got to give them a schedule and um, you know make sh- and, and approve every file as it's being uploaded and you know. But at the end of the day, those are first world problems. And uh, I mean, things that I'm learning, which are really exciting too. So you know, I mean, things that I'm I'm 
honestly honored to get the chance to learn. So that's and that, that's the that's the truly I think independent way of doing things. Um, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Dapperman has Archaea, and so you've got some people behind you who, you know, are in contact with the printer and all that stuff. With, like, Image, it's... You just give them the files. Um, and you do a lot of your own marketing, and, I mean, although they were great with Mind the Gap, I can't say enough wonderful things about them on that regard, but you guys have to do, I think, even more... Um, if you're not going through a diamond distribution system or anything like that, I mean, I'd love to hear how you guys work it. I'm aiming for a different target. I think with uh, places like Image or any of the major comic book companies, they're concerned about selling units. Mm-hmm. I'm pushing IP. I'm not in the game to, to sell a bunch of units of, of my book because I'll lose that game. I don't have the capital to compete. Um, plus, my, my workflow is just way too slow. I'm coming at it. it it's more art than it is, like, uh, product. So I'm looking at the big picture. I, I've worked in animation for, like, 11, 12 years. I, I just made the shift to, like, live-action storyboards. And I'm thinking, okay, as an artist, you have a pretty low shelf life. So you have to sort of pattern your career after people who have, you know been pretty savvy and lived off of the the uh the product of their most um you know fruitful years you know someone like a frazetta or something like that you know who owns a lot of his or who owned a lot of his works you know um so i'm like okay well i need to own and i need to be an owner about it you know and that means i need to know about printing i need to know about you know what i can use and uh everything that you can do to lower the cost of making your book and still making a professional product that competes when you're looking at it on the stands, you know. Um, Anything I say after that, I'm just going to sound like a used car salesman. (laughs) I feel like that's very... uh, I find it interesting talking to you, Dave. I mean, I've known you a long time just as a person, and now you're a super creative guy. Um, But... Is it difficult because you're an artist, but then you also have to go kind of like sell your car? Yeah, you know, I do. Time, and it's like, it's like, is it two different hats? Like, how do you... I, I definitely, I'm, I'm sure you guys have all had that, where you feel like a used car salesman at a certain point. You know, you really do, because you have to put on that marketing hat, and you have to bug people, and it may not be in your nature. I mean... I think some writers are very solitary, like they want to lock themselves up in a room and, and write, and that's, that's the beauty of writing for them. I, I'm a little more collaborative in that I like to have you know, either actors or co-writers, and I've always had, you know, like Jeremy and I have co-written a lot of stuff, uh, scripts and, and, and the Wormwood show and, and now this comic, but um, you know, I think we, uh, uh, you know, but still, there's, we like doing that. It's like playing. It's like you get in a room and you make believe, and, and then to have to go out there and say, like, well, you'll come to our uh, event, and uh, you'll... Uh, You'll order our book, right? And uh, here's a postcard. Will you will you put this poster up in your store? It just it's kind of uh, see. That's the part that I find the easiest. But that's really? just because see? well, that's that's my background. I had to do that for other people's work right, for right. six years at Marvel, and now I'm like, yeah, come on out and you know work Twitter and Facebook and as many different th- ways that you can. But then the time comes that your book comes out, <laughs> and I think the like. I, I am like super excited and pumped and ready and ready and then you can ask Connor 
<laughs> um, I think I am the most neurotic, nervous wreck. No, not you at all. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> there was a lot of sarcasm there. Um, about the week before it comes out. Ah. Um, and I, I've had to learn on my schedule that the Wednesday the book comes out, any book I have comes out, I get no work done um, until I've heard from people that, okay, yeah, it, it did well. And I was like, okay, good. <laughs> Then I can go take a nap. <laughs> Ed, you, um, so you go around the stores and hand sell your books outside the system yourself. Yeah. How, how did you find that when you first started? Did you get pushback from the stores? Is it hard to get them to, to buy books you know, directly from you as opposed to through a distributor? Well, it was an edu... It was like... Uh, there was Ed bef- before who, who was just a consumer mm-hmm. of comics and an artist, and then there was Ed after... You're talking to the third person. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out, Darren. <laughs> but uh, it, it was a, it was, it was bizarre. There, there was a lot of pushback. And um, why is that? Well, you'd have to ask those people, in, you know, ah. specifically. <laughs> but I can only assume that. Um, there's a certain way that people like things to be done and they have very little capacity to deal with something different so um, even even though there's a precedent yeah you know uh, are you talking about stores uh, like are you talking about stores mainly who just kind of do because we all know they're out there and this is (laughs) apparently how it works for them but do just repeat order they just look at the big two they don't even really look at order forms a lot of times they just hit submit and (laughs) there you go and and you know haven't even looked at the previews and much less if you but it seems weird if you're bringing them something although uh, I don't know there's there's so many different stores out there that either live month to month or week to week well I can understand that there you know but there's the uh, there's plan B which is like okay it could be sold on consignment there's literally no risk to you and I've had stores who refuse to sell my book well how about I I turn it from sort of a more less not wanting to talk about the negative connotations and more like how I approach it I feel like I'm part of the artistic process as if you can't stay in retail if you're kind of an artsy person like me and not feel that you're not contributing. And at least with Ed, my relationship with Ed, I've known Ed for a while. And I believe in his stuff. And I sell the stuff because I believe in it. And that's really what any reeler can do, retailer can do. And same with Dave. I mean, you know, Jim, I believe in you. He doesn't sell my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I do feel... I feel I have an important part to contribute. I can take some of the weight off of Dave and go, dude, you can take off the used car salesman thing with me. I bought, I bought the car. Just with you, Darren. No, you know One store down. No, but with Ed, I love... Seriously, with Ed, like with Ed, I love to put Ed's poster for his new comic behind my counter, and people ask about it. People with the Facebook and all the, the technologies and everything that... They like to see still like a brick and mortar retailer believing in a book and putting a poster up and selling it hand hand you know from me to you. Yeah. No. So yeah, there's definitely a trusted relationship, and it was we've all been consumers and had retailers. I mean, I have my pull list with her too, and you know, I, I I've always had that, and you know, I think there's something about that personal connection that really helps. So it's, it baffles me that you would have people Plus, turn Dave, you down you for you that. You came to my poetry reading, and nobody else did. <laughs> I did. 
scratch their back, well, they'll scratch think. yours. No, no. <laughs> Little does I thought you were. Darren doesn't know that that was all part of this master marketing plan that I'm cooking up. Yeah, I'm going to go to your poetry in three years. <laughs> three, three years before you do that comment. No, but I mean, I totally get you know what you guys are saying because we are in this place where we have a publisher but it's smaller than Arkea or Image. We don't have that sort of cachet. We're sandwiched in the middle of that giant catalog. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are a lot of uh, uh, people that don't even go and look there. And so for us, because we are playing it inside the system for this one, we're we're, kind of trying to figure out, you know, how do we get people to look at that um, and how do we, you know, what are the different ways? And so, you know, you mentioned Twitter and stuff like that. So social media and... You know, um, trying to engage the retailers directly yeah. as much as possible. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there are uh, Sam Humphreys uh, is a great example of this. He yeah. has like he's a list of um, retailers that he called uh, when he was doing Our Love Is Real just to let them know about it and that this book was coming out and that he was distributing it and. You know, I mean, that's basically today's door-to-door salesman. Right. Um, and not a lot of people took him up on it, but the people that did saw amazing returns uh, on it. And then it ended up getting picked up by Image, and yeah. then Sam got picked up by Marvel and all <laughs> sorts. I mean, so really great things can happen if stores take a chance on you and if you also stick through it. And, I mean, like... Ed, I'm really looking forward to looking at your book. I just got in here, and they said that they carried it. Oh, sweet, sweet. Yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I, you know, um, I think, like, my approach is, let, I'm thinking, like, how many people buy comics? You know, like, what, 150, maybe 200,000 people worldwide, maybe? Last time I did my census, yes. Probably 300,000. <laughs> okay, out of that, let's say my audience or my potential audience, the vertigo sort of, like, more... Cerebral stuff, ten thousand, fifteen, yeah, maybe. So my my, my target, my, my goal is to basically uh, hit a very small small percentage of the comic book buying uh, audience. You know, the sort of tastemakers, the people that say, "Oh, well, this is something special," you know, because then that trickles down or trickles up, however you, you want to picture it. You know, um, so it's more of a it's a smaller target, but a bigger game mm, okay. that I'm playing, I guess. You know? do, you, do you have any interest, then, in reaching people who may not be regular comics readers? Of course. Like, that's that's my audience. That's my hopeful audience. Okay. To, okay. to cross over, you know, uh, because we all know, well... And you know how, so how do you, how, what, what is your, like, do you have a marketing, what, what's your strategy for reaching people that aren't necessarily coming in every Wednesday who may not see that poster behind right. the counter? Well... Uh, beyond crafting a product that might appeal to them, you know, making something that looks more than just, you know, superheroes and tights and stuff like that, making something quote-unquote cool, you know, like my next book is kind of like this Patrick Nagel, uh, early 80s Michael Mann type of feel, you know, very slick and very, you know, sleek and stuff like that. So I'm crafting product that will appeal to my core audience who, who, you know, they buy books, they go see movies, and right. they play video games and stuff like that. Um, so that's how I started. And then I, I use, like, you know, like everyone's using Facebook, and I don't tweet, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but Facebook in particular. And, and I try to find people who talk about books 
that have an audience, and I try to get them the book. Gotcha. You know? Yeah. And then that seems to go beyond, because I don't think the, you know, the, I don't know, it's hard to say, the meat and potatoes average Joe comic book buyer, I don't know how many podcasts that they listen to. Right. Um, but I would think the people that do listen to podcasts are really involved and really open to being exposed to something new. Or a really long commute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And, and that's something that we really uh, th- th- you know, are dealing with because th- that's why I asked you about it. Because, I mean, our book is basically a horror, mystery, crime, crime horror right. comic, right? right? So, I mean, we, we're sitting here in a position where we're like, we know that people... I guess and maybe this is a question for Darren, too, in a way, is that, like, yes. how many people read comics for superheroes as opposed to reading comics because they like it as a medium? You know, where, where it's like, no, no one says, I just like superheroes in movies. You know, well, I want to piggyback everything. a question yeah. on that, too, actually. I want to piggyback a question on top of that. Also, sure. is in today's market, mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of people are less following like I have to have every book that Spider-Man is in and that Wolverine is in and instead if they like Jason Aaron's stuff they're going to check out his creator owned Uh, do you see that increasing because that's been my perception over the past year but I don't know from a retailer is there a leg to stand on or should I stop saying that? No there really is I mean but again I think look at the useful to you guys you know I I worked at Earth 2 off and on for like almost 10 years, but I was at Skylight Books for about three years. That's in Los Feliz. That's like Hipster Central. It's completely different than Northridge. Um, but one thing I'm seeing is that you can't, there are no hard and fast rules for anything, and there's no one audience for anything. There's like three or four audiences. I have people coming here just coming in for hardcovers. I have people just coming in for good authors. I have people just coming in for superheroes. And the, the, the thing for me is to serve every audience. It's not, I'm not, yeah, because when most right. people I could throw any arty thing at anybody and they would take it because they have disposable income. Just picture you throwing it out of them. Take it, take it. You know? They'd be like, I got ironically but I mean, hit. Northridge, Northridge in particular, <laughs> but I mean, Northridge in particular is, is, doesn't, it goes against everything you think is happening in comics. People still like comic books here in Northridge. It doesn't mean I don't get the other, other audiences, but. Right. It, it, it'd be a great study for somebody to do is all I'm saying so yeah, yeah. in order for, to keep myself from becoming like um, Jason Weingart in the Dark Phoenix saga where he just <laughs> loses his mind you know and goes into the cosmos I'm getting really inside Jim um, well no I know it but, but I'm in order, like, I know you knew it what? Um, but in order he's about to hit you with that, a Mockingbird I, reference no, right in, now. in order, order for me to do that I try no, he gave me a statue so. I, I try to focus on where I am and then learn the area because you right. can go to almost any area and you'll find something to disprove. You see, you know what right. I mean? Like, so I've spent the last year or so learning Northridge. I think I was asking that too because I mean, like our our book. I mean, again, we we did before this. We did an audio drama, you know, and it, it's not necessarily. We were trying to get like an audience that would like something like Twin Peaks, you know, go listen to our show. So with this, we're straddling this line of like horror and crime. It would appeal to somebody that likes, let's say, Ed Brubaker's Fatal, you know. But I mean, like. I look at Image as, you know, you think of Image from the 90s when it started, and you think of, like, edgy superheroes, like, they were trying to, you know, let's break out from the other two and make more superheroes. Um, But look at it now, and I think of Mind the Gap, and I'm like, Mind the Gap came out, and 
my girlfriend was reading it trying to figure out who who was the killer and like was reading it backwards and forwards <laughs> and it, it, nothing, it's the same same thing that she would like a, a mystery show on TV want, I mean, don't people really just want a good story what I'm saying is as comics yeah exactly that's where I'm going but as comics how do we get how do we get to those people because we're in the middle of this giant catalog but I know there are horror and crime fans out there you know somebody that liked I don't know, you know, that likes... There are people out there that like both Chinatown and The Exorcist. Well, if you mix them together, you've got our what? comic. Like and so why... Well, how can I reach those people, you know? That, I guess that's where I'm going. Stuck in, here's the thing. All you guys with your internets and whatnot, you want a quick and fast solution, but a lot of it's just wrong. <laughs> it's hard work. It's right? not really with the internets. It's with FOC. Yeah, <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, it's, 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 hard, it's, it's hard work. I mean, sometimes yeah. you do two or three books, and you don't really hit anything until that fourth book or that fifth no. book. And you have to be willing to put in that time. Oh, I'm you know, sorry. and that's, and I know Ed. I know you are because I've known you for a while, and Dave, I just know that you are. You know, but I don't. I've never met a single creator, like Sam Humphreys included. I remember Sam from back in the early thousands, two thousands. Um, so he just kept plugging at it. He just kept doing it. Mm. And I don't know if that's science. But Can I jump in here real quick? Yeah. It's something I've been thinking about lately. Like this. Well. It, same. Part of what you're talking about, yeah. and what we're talking about right now, which is like this—the audience, the core audience, and what they're buying and why they're buying it. You know, a lot of like sort of like nostalgia, and you know, a lot of this product and a lot, a lot of entertainment product is deri- heavily derived from you know something that happened 20, 30 years ago, right? So I think the core comic book audience buys books that remind them, remind them of uh, the books of their youth, you know, um, and the people that are willing to sort of like branch out and to uh, experiment and try something new, maybe their older brother or older sister were reading books and they picked up a, bu- a book, you know, here and there, um, or maybe in college, you know, they found a couple books and, or they went to a class or something like that. Um, those are the guys that I think are going to be necessary in order for the comic book market to grow, to be able to talk about things beyond me beating you up, this hero beating up that hero. You know, I mean, if you look at, like, manga books, you know, it's like I read books, manga books, that completely just blow me away and make me cry and laugh, you know? Pluto? Mm, I haven't read Pluto yet. But, like, Ikigami... I was weeping on, on the third book. I was just like, oh, my God. You know, I'm crying. I'm crying. I'm a man down here. <laughs> <laughs> but I've, had, I've experienced emotions reading manga that I, I have rarely felt with Western, Western books. And I think a lot of it has to do with the uh, Western consumer culture. You know, they're very limited when it comes to things that they're willing to accept. Yeah, but, I would. but to be fair to the consumer, uh, you know, they, everyone works really hard, long hours, and they come home, and not everybody reads five million comics or five million books. Sometimes, like, just give me a really good book to read, please. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, you know? I think um, for me that was why the Last Man, and I still, and I think it, it carried power and emotion all the way through, and even on that last issue, I, I have to skip over. Uh, the ampersand 
splash towards the end. No, uh, no spoilers. <laughs> but yeah, I I can't. And sometimes I will stop like at issue thirty seven because I don't want a certain someone to die. Um, but no, I mean I th- I think that I think that's very true. But also, when you were saying the nostalgia thing, it hit me that. Um, because I'm, you know, we're in a comic store right now, and it's a really, really great comic store. If you guys are nearby, it's beautiful. I definitely suggest that you swing by. Um, but you know, there's like a wall of AVX variants and, and posters, and the big oh yeah. Well, and there's well no, and I'm looking at I'm looking at yeah no no, no well no I'm looking at the Phoenix fighting Thor. And that speaks to the, to the nostalgia, yeah. to the the older right. readers who are like, oh, yay, this is what and I've been I waiting for. for and then, Moore, yeah, Brubaker, Sleeper, I see yeah. selling for 10 years. Well, that's <laughs> why I'm saying that. Yeah. That's well, why no, 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 no. I, I'm not, I'm not saying that, speaking it's bad. I'm saying that that is kind of what gets them in the door. Yeah. And then I think that we're starting to see some people... Um, inch over and try to, you know, dip their toe into the independent world. Sadly, we're in a, a bit of a recession right now and tightened wallets, but, you know, yeah. I think that... But what I see, all I try to do is make connections. Yeah. So people right. start from superheroes. I mean, you like that Brubaker, right? You like that superhero comic, right? Did you? You checking out? For, you know, and that, that's how I do it. So the more you guys write, and the more you vary your au whatever you said, um, and the more you vary it, the more I can turn people on to like, the books. I want to say that it doesn't matter because I think uh, the amount of independent books that are being sold, I mean, it's the uh, best of times, the worst of times. I mean, I haven't, mm-hmm. I haven't seen this many independent books, high quality. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen this many high quality independent books uh, ever. You know, Image is finally stepping up and, and, and churning out really interesting, different stuff. Um, at, you know, I guess Vertigo just kind of withered away. I mean, they used to be the go-to place for, you know, mm-hmm. genre-bending, you know, mind-expanding stuff. Um, I don't want to crack down <laughs> any, anyone important, but as a consumer... I think, I mean, I think you could literally have a store full of independent comic books and you would be closed by the end of the month. It's a, it's a, it's a quid pro quo situation. You have, a, you have a retailer who depends on the consumer that depends on the product that's do, doing a particular thing, reminding them of their childhood. That's what it is. And there's, no, there's nothing bad with but that. But a good comic creator, a really good, talented one, say like an Edward Baker or a Jonathan Dickman, takes the nostalgia and then does something new with it. Of course. They, that's what an artist if does. If you've read Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four run, you can't tell me that that's oh, nostalgia. Yeah. Oh god no, it's yeah. No, I yeah. and I'm not knocking any of that. I love yeah. all of their I love all of their superhero stuff. And that's why I think that's why that's one reason why I think people are following the creators. Yeah. And they're really looking at what Hickman is doing, what Brubaker is doing, Fraction with Casanova, um, uh, Mark Millar is <laughs> only doing that now, you know, I mean Civil War and Old Man Logan were his see ya, peace out, I'm gonna go do my own stuff, Mm -hmm. and you know, he had proven all the way up through that to be able to tell crazy stories and have you not understand a word he says if he speaks to you. So... (laughs) (laughs) 
I think, you know, I want to go back to one thing that, Jim, you mentioned uh, Why the Last Man, and that reminded me that that is a book, and Darren knows this, because I started uh, when he was at the other Earth, too, is that I started buying it for my dad, who's a science fiction fan, and it turned out to be a great Christmas and birthday gift to give to him every year for, like, you know, <laughs> because he, he never would have gone into a comic shop. But I gave it to him, and it was really easy to read. It was science fiction, and it's the, it's the kind of meat and potato sci-fi that he loved, you know. And he was like, where's the next one? I can't wait, you know, where's the next volume? And, and so uh, the trick there is that, you know, we still need to get people to go into the stores, or we need to get... And that's what I come back to, is like, how do you reach outside of that? Because, Darren, you're still limited by... People have to come in here, and then you can make connections. I have limited by nothing. So, I mean, I know, like Jeremy and I, we're, right now, we're in this place where we're kind of sitting here, going like, we have some people left over that are fans of the audio drama. They're not necessarily every Wednesday pull list kind of guys, right? Yeah. But they might come out and buy this book in the same way that, like, somebody that like Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> might come out and get, you know, if Joss Whedon is, you know, doing another season as a comic book. They, they you know, they don't care what format it's in, you know. And, and so, you know, I, I think that's... I come back to that as, like, the struggle that we're dealing with right now because, you know, the, the book is in previews, but a lot of shops, like you talked about earlier, they're going to pick from the big two. They're going to pick Marvel and DC superhero books because they know, and I understand that, they know what their audience is. They're not getting people walking in going, man, do you have any great horror comics? Dude, sometimes previews doesn't even count, and I know this because... When Mind the Gap came out, it was the cover of previews for the month, <laughs> and there were which was mind blowing. And yet, I heard people going into their stores, and they were like, "Oh, I haven't heard of that." Yeah. I'm like, "Are you not looking at your number one sales tool?" <laughs> <laughs> but no you know what? You're everybody. Were everybody runs their business a different way? So let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, so, Darren, when you get the preview catalog, how do, how do you go through that? How do you decide what you're going to stock, what you're going to order? What's the challenge of any, of any comics now from a retailer perspective? I go through the catalog myself many times, usually any time I'm in the bathroom or any time <laughs> I'm on lunch or any time I, I look through it and, you know, and I make notes myself and then the manager at the other store makes notes and Carr makes notes as the owner of the store and we get together every month and then we spend all day arguing <laughs> no, we really care. I really want you guys to know this. This is exactly what happens. Every month, we argue over what to order. Let's take a stand on this. No one else in the Valley is going to order this. That's what we do. I mean, a lot of times, we benefit from the fact that people aren't being brave. And I like to think that we're brave. That we're, we take chances. We order. Well, let's order 100 copies of it. Why not 100 copies? You know what I mean? Like, why not? I mean, I, don't, I can't tell you why retailers don't do it. But one of the reasons I work at Earth 2 is because that's what we do. We, we do that. You know what I mean? We argue over it, so it's good. I guess the question that I that, that would lead to me doesn't necessarily apply to you guys because you do have open ears, but how much um, how much is what your customers come in and say, hey, I heard about this book, affects your pre-orders? Because that's like the big thing that we're, uh, I think all of us, yeah. especially in independent comics, are really trying to push is pre-order, 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 and make sure that your customers talk to the retailers. Anytime the customer takes the time, because that's a lot, okay? That means you've penetrated through to a person who's come in to talk to me specifically. And it's not easy always to go up to the retailer guy, you know, that's what I'm a retailer guy, and, uh, and just go, I'd like, you know, are you going to get this book? If somebody does that, yes, I take huge notice of that book. Because that means 
one of two things or all of the things. That means the person creating the book has really been working their butt off to make sure somebody knows about it. And, and it's like, I don't know, I want to reward something like that. So I do get, that does happen. But again, it takes a lot for, it takes a lot for someone to just be like, no, go from reading a comic to going up to the retailer and asking them to get the comic. So if fans, that happens, yeah, that's a huge. Fans, if you're still listening, <laughs> please go up to your retailer and talk to them. Yeah. They won't bite you in I'm, most yeah, cases. I'm pretty approachable, but I, I, I do give it a lot of credit. <laughs> do you find yourself ordering more or less independent stuff than you used to, or has the market changed? Image is, I think, thank God for Image right now, is all I can say. Thank God for what they're doing. Thank God for the books they're putting out. Um, I, I, I'm really happy that they're because I like superheroes too, and and I love I love superheroes. And I don't I don't view I don't have a high art low art attitude. He's wearing a Captain America T-shirt. <laughs> you, know so you know what this is? This is Barry doesn't didn't want to do his laundry. <laughs> so you're wearing a shirt from the store. You got his shirtless, and then you just put his shirt on. I just went. It's all payback the register later. No, but right now I mean I've got you know Thief of Thieves and and you know all these great Mind the Gap, all these great image books that. People are now, now. There's like a weird. There's like a weird hype around image books now, just because so so many of them recently have been so good. People are literally like, I got to get the new image book. So, I think it's a great. For me, it's a great time for comics. Yeah. I agree with Ed. To go back to what Ed said before, there's better. There's great creators in comics now. Like the, the level of artists, the level of artists, the level of writing yeah. is. is Better than I mean, I've been reading comics since I was six. And the variety also. And the variety is great, and is. you know, the only thing you can do is I view comics as not so much. I don't view it as, as a genre. I view it as an art form. So the minute people can get out of the sort of you know sort of thinking where it's a superhero based medium, it's no, it's guys, it's pictures and words. So we're only limited by what we want to put in them. So right. do you find the demand is is there, or do you order more because of? believe in the product or people coming in asking for these books well it's not a, it's not a, again that that's that's to pat, to pat retailers on the back who take chances that's you take a chance that you're going to lose mm-hmm. and that you're going to lose money on it or that's a chance you take but if you've been doing it long enough you see good good books come by you kind of go I'm, I'm just, this is a good book I believe in it I'm going to hand sell this book you know that's the other thing you got to get the book in your hand and go up to people who go did you read this dude it's really good and that means I got to go up to everybody you know what I mean? But I'm happy to do it. If it's a book I believe in, that's my job as a retailer. Are there any questions? Anyone have any audience? Right. I, I got them on. <laughs> Tell us your name first. Uh, Tad Stone. Uh, I have a question for Ed. Yeah. Uh, you said you were in it for the IP, so I just paged through your comp. looks great, and it's a, it's a solid art style that a person who's unfamiliar with comics would open up and say, this guy draws very well. So you don't have that, that Thank you. barrier. Uh, Thank you. So when you say IP, are you taking it, are you sending it to studios, or do you go to a convention and hope that there's people trolling for new products? Or Okay, um, I don't know if I should tell you the secret there. <laughs> Mind tricks. Because I haven't fully exploited it yet. But I will say that there are probably three stores let's just say in the world, that you could put your book on a shelf and be guaranteed that a PA or somebody, somebody's assistant will, will see it because they're actively looking for properties that can be you know, turned into, into movies. You know, that's, that's why it's so cool nowadays. Um, 
to be an independent creator is because now comic books have been validated in a huge way, you know, with the Avengers and what have you, as a source of exploitable content. Um, with that in mind, me being an artist, I don't really consider myself a writer, but I can get you through uh, a book. I think this sort of speaks to something I'd like to say to a lot of artists out there. It's like, you owe it to yourself to create product that can be uh, used in multiple, multiple platforms to try to monetize that. Because if you're just working for hire, if you're just working for a company that owns the property that you're working on, you're screwed. There's just no other way of looking at it. You know, working for the big two is not... That shouldn't, that shouldn't be the ceiling. You know, that shouldn't be what you're looking for. What you're looking for is to come up with a product that competes with the big two and further, go beyond that, that appeals to a larger, core, a larger audience. And to execute that at, at the top of your game and go, go find these three stores, which I'm not going to tell you which they are. <laughs> but if you're smart, you probably already know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> And, uh, you know, put it out there. Although getting the chance to work on your favorite capes and tights, characters growing up for a short time is fun. Gotta <laughs> admit. Gotta get your name out there a little bit. Well, everyone has a Batman so. story. <laughs> yes. But Bendis was talking about how working on the Avengers didn't really help out the sales that much on the yeah. icon stuff. So, well, he's... Uh, by that point, he was already... I mean, it was his... It was his Sam and Twitch and you know his indie work that got him into the door for Daredevil and Ultimate Spider-Man mm. and so that has that's what's shot him through the roof and can support the icon stuff now and you know Takio and a lot of that yeah so but, Jim I'm curious um, yes. you starting with Marvel and getting a chance to actually do some superhero stuff and some mainstream stuff did that affect when you went to go do that indie stuff, Dapper Men and, uh, and Now Mind the Gap, did that affect your whole approach to it? I, it, it maybe it's creation, but maybe it's also the marketing and the connections oh, no. and the working you know, with retailers. Well, it absolutely helped with marketing because I had already, you know, already established a lot of connections. Fans knew me from running panels at conventions um, or being on podcasts. I, I will say, uh, and not just because Connor's standing here, uh, when I do a signing, I still think about a third, at least, of the people that come up um, say, oh, I heard you on iFanboy, and I got really interested. So um, people are listening to podcasts, not just on their commute. Uh, um, and if they are, you're awesome. But, uh, so yes, that helped. Um, but the biggest piece of advice that I got was uh, from Jonathan Hickman, who said, you know, when, when I said I was going out to go ahead and do my own stuff he said alright well the best thing that you can possibly do is go out and put out a book that the big two would never put out and so I did a I did a decoupage book about a bunch <laughs> of dapper men coming down from the sky that's kids fairy, fairy tale I don't think Marvel would have published that um, and then with Mind the Gap I wanted to put out a big two looking book with the art with a story that I don't know would go right now in either of their lineups. So, 
you know, I mean, I just, I keep that in mind. Um, but I, I have absolutely, uh, I, I, I'm sorry, I absolutely know that it helped me. I have, yeah. I, I'm not gonna deny that at all. And I thank them for it, actually. I mean, I had a great time working at Marvel, and, you know, I still have Hawkeye stories and, a bunch of other character stories that, you know, I would love to work on. But right now I'm really having a lot of fun creating, playing in my own sandbox with my own toys. So, um, yeah. Let's talk about marketing. Um, last five years or so, social media has blown up. Mm-hmm. And just about everyone's on, every comic page on social media, everyone pushes their book on social media. Does it have an effect? Does it, do you find it successful? Is it actually, is it, is it any, for anyone? Is it, is it necessary? I, th- I it was for me. I mean, absolutely. I, not just through Twitter and Facebook, um, but also any sort of um, social media. Which I, I think podcasting is included in that because it's kind of an, an interactive thing as well. Um, but uh, and message boards and all of that. But um, because th- and from what I have heard back from fans is that. They really appreciate creators taking the time to write back and to uh, to pay attention to them. Like if people, you know, do like you know, reply at me or send me something on Twitter. It's 140 characters. How long does it take you to just hit reply and say thank you so much? Right. You know, and it's it's it means a lot to them, and they're going to they're they're probably the best sales force out there. Because they're going to tell their fans about your about your book or about you and say, you know what, this is a really great guy or a really great girl, that woman that is out there making comics, and I'm going to support his or her book no matter what it is because you took the time to be a human being to them and not just this like, oh, I'm a comic book creator and you just go in on Wednesdays and buy it, muhaha, and I count my pennies. <laughs> I, I think ours is pretty interesting right now because we are sort of the new kids on the block and our book hasn't even come out yet. But we did a Kickstarter, doing, right? Yeah, we did a Kickstarter, right, exactly. And But then that really... So for us, it's a couple things. It's it's the the audio drama, and and we had a, a good audience from that. And, and as Jeremy said, as we you know, when Jared approached us as we were wrapping up, it was almost perfect timing in that we re- probably needed to get that going sooner so that we could carry over some of the audience because there was there was probably a good year between the audio show ending and then us launching. You're really starting to market um, this. Oh month. yeah, yeah. Release it uh, as a special edition. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, we need to do the remastered episodes. But, yeah, I mean, it, but I know that a combination of that, um, you know, that we had people watching us. We have, like, a, a Wormwood Facebook page, and we can really easily let people know when stuff is, you know, available oh, yeah. with our book and, and keep people up to date. Um, Twitter. And then, honestly, you mentioned, you know, iFanboy, and, I mean, that's how I know Connor is that, when we were starting to do our audio show, I was listening to the iFanboy pod- podcast, and I was really fascinated by what you could do, just self-distributing a, a, a podcast. And so, I, But I started hanging out on the Revision 3 forums at the time for iFanboy and just met a lot of great people. And I have you know, good friends to this day. The, the Fuzzy Typewriter podcast that I do with Paul Montgomery of iFanboy also uh, is my good friend because we were talking on there, and, and he came and wrote Wormwood with us. So all of that was me knowing people knowing comics people and then carrying all of that conversation over onto Twitter 
and then just keeping that going, and then yeah, I mean, what what do you have anything to add in terms of like? Well, no, I mean the, the the whole show started online, so I mean we, we've been working with the online community for what since two thousand seven, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, th- there is a little bit of a following there, so I mean, it, it's it's just natural to kind of stay stay on that. Yeah, uh, I've sold most of my books online. Um, I think I sold like maybe two hundred and fifty copies through preview, and that took like that was like a six month uh, process after I had a completed book. So, I mean, I think the internet is probably the way to go. Um, but I wanted to take one step back because I don't think I fully answered your question about whether the IP is working for me or not. It was it was optioned, um, and uh, just finished reading the second draft uh, of the su- uh, script that's being adapted by Ken Nolan. He wrote Black Hawk Down. So, I mean, the fact I mean the fact that I've this far. I mean, it's bizarre because, uh, you know, I really uh, tried to do it the way that you're supposed to do it, you know. Uh, I couldn't get anyone to read the book, you know. No one was interested because they already have their own properties that they're trying to exploit. Uh, I didn't have any real uh, friends on that that level, you know. So to be in this position where I've been in rooms with some very interesting and influential, powerful, creative people in Hollywood talking about my book and then, like, you know, going to meeting after meeting, you know, talking to people that are like, oh, you know, we're totally impressed and this and that. I mean, it, it's a huge validation for my effort. Um, and if it happens, you never know, it's Hollywood. If it happens, I mean, that's a, that's kind of a coup because that means you don't really need a publisher that's going to eat up 60 to 70% of your ownership of a property. You know, it's all about ownership at this point. You know, the more you can do on your own, the better off you are because the less uh, you can do or the more you have to give up uh, as far as ownership is concerned, the more screwed you are as, as an artist. You know, and I'm tired of waking up and seeing a new article on CBR about this guy, he's got arthritis in his hands, he can't draw anymore, and he's begging for rent money. You know, and all these super uh, pro artists are getting together to put a, you know, a, a comic, comic telephone to help him for the next five, six months. You know, that's ridiculous. When you have the Avengers making, what, close to a billion dollars, it's like, there's something wrong when that's the most you can hope for after pouring all your sweat equity, all your your imagination, you know, taking a character and reimagine, reimagining it and making it palatable to the modern audience. And the thanks that you get, maybe you'll get a little tiny bonus. I wonder what Hitch and Millar got for basically creating an Avengers that, that made... A billion dollars. I mean, did they get a bonus? Did they? I'm curious about that. Has anyone heard about that? Did Millar and Hitch, did they get anything <laughs> for creating a product that's made those guys a billion dollars? I think I'm seriously still under NDA. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, 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 you know, he did, there, he wouldn't, I don't know if he would have had a career doing his, his own independent projects, but what they did give him was an audience. And he made a ton of money on Kick-Ass. <laughs> I mean, that did help him get the attention on Kick-Ass, but I mean, not to at all belittle your point, because it is make a million buck or a billion bucks in a weekend, you would hope that somebody gets more than a pat on the back. Exactly. But, you know, um, big business is big business simply because that's what it is, you know? <laughs> I, I did want to say on social media, I think another aspect that is not being talked about, and I think it's one reason is because a lot of us don't 
do this on the panel, but I am friends with uh, somebody who does, is um, a lot of people now are doing web comics and then taking, like, in chapters and publishing those. Uh, Christina Strain, who many people know as a colorist, has transitioned over into writing now and does one called The Fox Sister, um, and it's based on a uh, Korean... Uh, Korean kind of ghost story um, about a nine-tailed fox that devours um, a woman and then takes on her form uh, before killing her entire family. Mm. And it's it's beautiful. The artist that she found was on DeviantArt. And so, I mean, this was like literally ground up. It was somebody's first time, you know, really doing all of this. And she's published it herself. It came out. It's looking beautiful. Um, she went to TCAF and sold every copy that she brought. And it was either through the uh, word of mouth from the fan base that was on the webcomic, because that builds every single week. Um, and then also she's taking it to stores independently, the way you are now. Nice. And so, you know, I mean, I think that that's another viable thing. Mm-hmm. If... Um, if you can't, if you can't afford to just say, "All right, boom, here's my indie book all at once completed," do something as a web comic because that's free to basically publish, except to pay for the domain name, and um, and then when you have enough, put it together, shop it around, or sell it at conventions because it is again all yours. You don't have to worry about somebody coming by and shutting you down or serving you with a cease and desist. Mm. And did she so, run that for free, or just run it? She's yeah. still running it online. It's still oh. running online. Yeah, okay. chapter one is out now, and uh, a new page goes up every week. Um, yeah. And she did it French album style too. Oh, cool! Which is the other awesome thing, as I'm sure you know, you can do it any format. It can look any way. It does not have mm-hmm. to fit in line with all of your essentials. So I'm just having to be looking at Essential Hulk and Essential Iron Man right now. <laughs> um, you know, or. But I think that's a great point, and I think a lot of a lot of people are putting their their first issue up for free. I think Darren, if, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't we have a conversation at one point where you said put the first issue online for free? It doesn't affect sales. Like, it didn't you say something like that? Like, it doesn't it did say that. Yeah. yeah. So when we had that whole conversation that from our, that does and, not mean pirate to say that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Not, no, not it's pirate. A but saying it's, like, a, it's a loss leader. Right. You're exactly. not going to make money. You're probably not gonna, I mean, you know, you're trying to get your name out there. You're trying to right. get people to know who you are. Then the second project, maybe you might make a little more money. Right. And the third project, <laughs> you might make all your money back and a little more. I mean, but it's, yeah, that's what you said. But I just think that's interesting. I mean, it, it, that, that goes to the whole social media thing. It's about exposure. You know, we have this incredible avenue where any everybody everybody can put something out there but it creates this huge uh, I mean the, the the noise to signal ratio is is vast yeah, but, but it's like the people, cream rises I think and I think you know Ed, you're talking about it, I mean I remember yeah. I remember like cruising around town looking for caliber comics that Dennis was writing oh I did that, I did that too just yeah. crappy pamphlets you know, <laughs> I mean, it's falling apart in your yeah. hands but I mean it's so much easier now right I don't no one has an excuse for not putting out a masterpiece because it's so easy. Right. Well, masterpieces are hard to do. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's like Kurt Vonnegut said everybody had a great time. I think the final topic of the, of the evening or the afternoon or whatever you want to call it is uh, or whenever digital, you're digital comics. <laughs> how, how do you guys feel from an indie perspective? How can you utilize the best of any of you pick your books out there digitally? Do you find success in it? Oh, I was, this kind of dovetails into what you were talking about, which is 
and what Darren was talking about, which is making something available for free. Mm -hmm. I think artists should be paid. Um, they've been screwed from the get-go. Okay, so however you put it out there, if, if it's a for a buck or whatever, uh, you, should, you should be getting paid in some way, shape, or form. But the argument could be made that if you do have a lost leader, my lost leaders are copies that I give to people who will talk about it. Mm. So the press, you know, journalists, uh, podcast people, that's my lost leader. And, and uh, people that I meet along the way that will never go to a comic book store, but, mm -hmm. but might be open to it. You know, I'll give a copy to those people, you know, because I've designed a product for them. Okay. But if you were going to make something available for free, I think digital is a valid, I mean, I would make a digital copy, maybe not the whole book, but a, a huge portion of it for free because there's no inherent value in digital comics, except it, there's an experiential value because you're reading it, and I'm sure there will be a time when people are like, oh, turning pages, that's so bizarre, you know? But why are the, what is this staple in the yeah. middle of months? <laughs> it's not talking to me, you know. It's like so. I mean, digital com comics in that regard. You're telling me that newsprint will be placed. No, no. <laughs> no, newsprint is going to go the way of a bunch of small boutique stores, uh, where people who have like a sense of value of like things that they can hold and touch and display, and so that's where they'll go. Uh, digital is for people who are. I don't even know, to be totally well, honest. Yeah, it's, I think, not, it's not like one technology is going to destroy the other yeah. technology. That's I, not what I see happening. I think it's different than, because sometimes people like to point to um, how iTunes has made CDs and record stores irrelevant. That's a completely different experience. It's an auditory experience, and it doesn't matter the delivery model. Um, you're still getting the music. However, with comics, there is a... There is, a delivery model. There is a book. There is a digital file. There's however it is that you want. And I think that there's going to be an audience that likes to just keep things on a tablet. Or uh, personally, um, I will sample a book um, online a lot of times and then come in and buy the first issue. Um, and then other times I will have caught up on something digitally and if I really liked it I'll get the trade and that's more the Manhattan side of me from when I lived in <laughs> New York I couldn't afford long boxes um, but you know I still would come into the brick and mortar stores and support that I know that there's not like there's a lot of talk about digital and about how much money it makes or doesn't make and that you know it's it doesn't cost uh, uh it doesn't cost as much to produce, and so why aren't they cheaper? I mean, there's a whole digital debate that's out there right now, but I think that it is, like you said, a really good way to hook a reader um, and then get them into the store. Uh, with with Mind the Gap, the first nine pages um, introduced every single character, and I put that out there as a digital preview, like a digital exclusive preview, but made it open for everybody free across all places. And I even posted like um, I even posted a you send it link for people who didn't want didn't have a tablet or couldn't download something. I, you, wow. They could just get the PDF if they wanted to. Uh, 
And that got people talking. I mean, I think... uh, Personally, I think that digital comics are best going to be served as... um, Unless people just want to do digital and then, you know, like a a web comic. But I think digital comics are best going to be served as a conversation starter. Well, I think the the best thing with digital is that the reach... Potentially be much greater than, than anything in a shop because you can you you don't have to have the thing on a shelf somewhere. You can have it have it available to anybody everywhere at all times, and they can find things easier. I think that way. And that may go towards the question I was asking earlier about how do you reach people that yeah. aren't coming into the shop. I mean, I, you know, I mean, we can talk about you know which way it's going to go or whatever. I think that you know, like uh, Darren, Darren was saying, you know, they'll probably exist side by side for a long time. I mean, I think. I could see in my, and I'm just talking about my own habits now, I could see a lot of me reading with the right reader, and I've been waiting for the right device, you know, and the right sort of platform to make it all work and make it flow, Um, but I could see myself reading a lot of um, cheap, pulpy comics reads, like the kind of comic that I tear through on a Wednesday because it's a good, it's got a cool cliffhanger, maybe this is more of your superhero stuff, and I don't necessarily need like a big hardcover, but there's going to be stuff that I like to sit down and really read, you know, the graphic novels, so... I could see, you know, and I don't know if it's a generational thing, but I could see that we're going to have, you know, you know, maybe our kids will be much more used to, uh, uh, you know, reading stuff on a tablet or, or, or screen or whatever. Um, so, you know, it could go that way. I, I am also fascinated by the fact that I think storytelling is going to change, and I think the next generation of storytellers is going to be fascinating as they start to figure out this infinite canvas idea. You know, and that they don't necessarily do that page turn, but... It could go around in a lot of different ways, and so I'm actually fascinated to see where that goes. But you know, um, you know, to Darren's point, you know, I think that they're. I still love the the, the com- I mean, we ch- we got a choice with with, yeah. with Hermes Press. We got to choose if we want to do a graphic novel or a five issue miniseries. And we love comic books, and I wanted to have it as a comic book on the shelf on a Wednesday. <laughs> you know, there's I mean, a debate on that too, whether or not to do an ongoing mini or OGN as well too and I think that to, to, is from shop to shop too because yeah. I know um, a lot of people won't carry just a graphic novel that they don't know anything about because it's $25 usually it, yes. and to that though I'm baffled because you get a much greater return on profit mm-hmm. um, because say you order um, again, not picking on anything. It just happens to be in front of me. Say you order a bunch of Young Justice number 15. <laughs> um, Literally right. That it is. And it's $2.99. Um, if you don't sell though, like six of those copies, we're in a non-returnable industry. They're just going to sit on that shelf and then maybe be as a giveaway or, you know, as a, in a back issue bin. But if you if you do invest in a hardcover, it can sit on the shelf for about, you know, that, well, however long, but it depends on if you are one of those week-to-week comic shops or month-to-month. But your ROI, your return on investment, is going to be so much higher when you do sell that. And it's it, it, it just kind of builds that audience. Right. And it just kind of baffles me in a non-returnable industry that people will order things that sit on the shelves for a long time, <laughs> um, like individual issues, and and then bitch that they're not making money mm-hmm. off of it. And so I mean that's just I think habits, my own. I think a lot of people have a lot of ingrained habits. Yeah. Publishers, even like the big two, have really been making a lot of great 
offers on returnability on a lot of products, so it just doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, know? oh yeah. No, Which, absolutely. Uh, I have another question on uh, social media. This is for both Jim and, and Noble that doesn't tweet. So <laughs> when you use Twitter, if you just mm-hmm. post when you have something to sell, you're not going to build followers and people hate you because you're coming on as a huckster. So how do you keep up a Twitter presence? Uh, how much effort does it take? And uh, how often do you... I promote pithy things. Uh, no, like yesterday, or yeah, yesterday I bought a dozen Dunkin' Donuts, and that was a mistake for one person. Um, but no, you you kind of have an online persona. Yes, where did yes. you get Dunkin' Donuts? Yeah. Oh, in Mid City. I was on my way back from LAX, and I was really hungry, and yeah, I literally yeah. just typed in Dunkin' Donuts. Okay. And there's one in Santa Monica, though. I thought of you, and I was like, oh, I've got to tell. This is the most important question of this podcast. It really is. But no, you kind of have an online persona. As well. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just asked Rocky Oh yes, not Duncan. Krispy Kreme. Did I say Duncan? Oh yes. crap! No, Krispy Kreme. Shoot. Yeah, it was Krispy Kreme. I know. So, oh. uh, Krispy Kreme's even more rare out here. Are you kidding me? And they're better. Um, but uh, so social media, I would just kind of built. By talking to other people, talking to other creators, creators will tweet about your stuff, and people will come to you. And um, I like to just kind of throw things out there, like um, you know, if, if a new panel comes in or if a cover is in, um, I'll, I'll talk about that. But then I'll also talk about other people's books, and I think that's one of the really important things to do as creators, especially as independent creators, is to help support each other's books. And say, you know, I mean, um, not that Ed needs the extra sales from my six thousand. I Baker. But when I read Fatale number one, I was like, "Yep, this is what everybody's talking about, and needs to get it." And so, you know, I mean, and then he tweeted about Mind the Gap, and so, you know, you kind of, it's a, it's. It is all a conversation, though. It's it's an online conversation, um, and but you do I, have I to keep it up, and sometimes you oh, yeah. forget that. I mean, it is sort of a, there's a little rigor around it. Yet, it's exactly yeah. what you said. It's a it's it's a brand. It's about a personality, uh, cultivating that yeah. online personality, so that you know. I think for me, I do a lot of podcasts like with uh, with my friend Paul, and 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 uh, you know, so I'm able to talk about pop culture stuff, and so I'm always able to kind of keep that presence there and keep a conversation going. With people about you know like right now for example we're we're talking about all the each of the alien movies of that franchise and so that we can talk about Prometheus when it comes out just because we want that's to that's not a prequel <laughs> I'm just, just because we want to and 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 then that keeps me online and tweeting oh this came out that came out and then you know the rest of it is like you said you can talk about donuts or you know I I think I did one of those. Uh, things where it tells you about your words that come up in your Twitter and my coffee was like the biggest thing. So, you know, <laughs> but I think you're, you, Tad, to your point, it's exactly right that, um, um, if you only come on there to, with like, oh, this issue's out or this marketing, but it's really obvious and people know that you have to be sort of a person online who also happens to be putting out their stuff. And I, I mean, it just, you have to be kind of nerdy and like, and love nerdy stuff and put it on, put it out there, you know? <laughs> and making fun of other people like Connor really helps, yeah. too. How, how, how does, <laughs> how does, uh, okay, how does, uh, how does keeping up your personality affect your workload? Because you know, you're not, we're adding your, you're, well, you're tweeting, you're not if I can't take 
In fact, I can't take 10 seconds to tweet right. 140 be characters. It's true, because then I get sucked in. No, I make time. I, have to, I do have to make time. Look at it as part of the job so you block out time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't block out time because I'm not that. I don't. I can't work that way, or I have not established that workflow yet. Um, and actually, I will say, I know this is one podcast, but if I can plug another one real quick. John August has a great podcast. And he just talked about writer's block and the romanticism of it. And it's more about like how writers can set up their day mm-hmm. um, and the different workflows and things that work for people. And part of that, to me, part of, part of anything that we're going to sell is going to have to be marketing as, yeah. as, as independent creators. It just has to be. So you have to make that time. And sometimes it's, you know, oh, I'll find out that we sold out of the first issue and here's a great cover. And then um, that'll lead me to kind of looking at Sonia's blog. I also look at um, RSS. I have RSS feed for other sites and things like that. And I'll just, I'll link to um, somebody, an artist who did an awesome pinup or something like that. And I think that people then will say, Oh, you know, we have similar tastes. And that will help affect their buying habit as well. They may pick up a book that you've written um, because, oh, well, he loves Empire Strikes Back most, too. <laughs> Which means I should be selling a billion copies of my books. Are there any other questions from the, uh, from the audience? Then uh, I'd like to thank the panelists for coming by. Thank everybody else for coming in. Thank Earth 2 for hosting the show. And Thank you guys and, for being uh, here. Thank you. And that was the panel. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed doing it. We certainly had a lot of fun. Please be sure to check out Earth 2 Comics in Northridge, California, 8967 Reseda Boulevard. If you're in the area, it's a great store with a great selection and great staff. And don't forget to check out our weekly audio show, the Pick of the Week podcast, where we talk about the week's books and all the things happening in comics. And check out ifanboy.com for all your latest comic book news and discussion. And as always, you can email us at contact at ifanboy.com. I'm Connor Kilpatrick, and we'll talk to you next time. Telegraphs and more and more, less detailed by the day. And all the characters are strangers, and the pups have different names. I'll tell a joke, I'd like to meet them, but they loathe me and I hate them. Bang! Makes the heart grow fonder, fondness makes the absence longer Length loses my interest, I'm a realist, I'm insatiable Stop days until I fly with hours before you're in